Podcast. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Westcott demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up? Welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother, Wesley. And today, we're discussing the rom-com of the season. The feel-good international comedy, Someone Who Leaves. Not in this life. In this life, she's someone who stays. Yeah. Past lives. Past lives. Past lives. What is happening? I'll just cut to it. Okay. I'll just cut right to it. So after like blubbering at the end, yeah, I took a beat and then I realized that this is just a movie of she's not that into you. <laughs> okay. Like I was really moved by this movie, but then when you kind of boil down the plot, when you boil down the storyline, you're like, yeah, she's just not that into you, bruh. Well, then why was she blubbering? Well, because there was a connection there. There was history if you want to get, if you want to like indulge in the mysteries of the East Dude. and the Orient and stuff, then you can be like they were connected in past a past life or past lives. But when she was like, hey, yo, you're not going to come here and I'm not going there. So let's just stop talking. That's like, you know, I'm going to let this life that I'm pursuing take priority uh, over truly exploring this relationship with you in earnest she and then was so you dude that's so you what she was absolutely inscrutable and like was like hey sorry no and he was like what <laughs> and she's like no i gotta focus goodbye and he was like oh but uh and it crushed him for like 10 or 12 years that was the biggest <laughs> point of contention between kelly and i watching this movie i was furious she said she wanted to stop talking. Then why did you reach out? He reached out to her. He was looking for her. See, that's what Kelly Ray said. And I was like, no, no, this is a two-way video chat, man. A hundred percent. She's responsible. She let him get all involved or whatever. And then she wrested the control away from him and shut it down. And Kelly Ray fully supported that bullshit. Who knows what can happen in the, the course of a theoretical year? Of, you know, it's going to be at least a year, so I guess we'll stop talking, talk to you soon or whatever. And I was like, no, absolutely not. Because it's true. What happened? She married Charlie and packed off for like a dozen years. Dude, homegirl is entitled to be like, this isn't working for me. I want a relationship IRL. And that's okay. He's not coming to New York. She's not going to Seoul. It's not working for her. And that's where the whole she's just not that into you comes into play. Did you ever read that book? Did you read He's Not That Into? No. So the whole premise of He's Not That Into You is that women pine and women go back to men. But the fact of the matter is that if a dude is into a chick and vice versa, they're going to do what it takes to be with that person. And if they're just not that into you, you're going to hang on to this idea that will never come to fruition. So basically, you think that she's cold hearted, but she wanted more. And when it kind of came down to it, she just wasn't that into him. I worried, at least I clung to the idea that this was a power trip on Na Young's part. 
I tried very hard to hate her. Instantly hated Charlie. That wasn't his name, but you know it was Charlie from the Big Short, right? <gasps> what? From Brown Hole? Brownfield Capital? <laughs> no, I knew I liked him. Arthur Zanturski. I tried not to like him. I tried to hate him. And so they didn't say his name at first. And so I wrote down unreasonably resentful of <laughs> underline because I didn't know who his name was and I was going to fill it in later. And then like based on his writing and stuff, they kept referring to Boner. So I called him Boner Dude. in my head for most of the movie. His book was titled Boner. So I called him Boner. <laughs> I was like, did I miss something here? Did he write a book called Boner? So obviously uh. what she did was what would have been controversial to anyone. And I'm sure there are lots of people like me who took umbrage with the fact that she decided to call off what seemed to be a perfectly good thing that they were both interested in or whatever at the time. Now, how practical it was, I have no idea. Well, I do have an idea. But still, I think it was intentional that we were supposed to feel some kind of way about it. And I also believe we were supposed to feel some kind of way about Boner because he was positioned to be called Boner and he was like just he was so frustratingly supportive. Wow. He was oh, wow. so mad. And strangely, I didn't hate Haesung, even though I, I kind of wanted to. Oh, because what, you want to talk he, about frustratingly supportive. Uh, I mean, he obviously he was chronically shy and had a debilitating sense of lack of confidence anyway. If you're into her, then you go after her and you do so when all else fails, you do so aggressively. And he was like, "Okay, bye. No, he was just he came to New York and he was a big giant ball of mochi and couldn't do anything for himself. Is there a Korean equivalent of mochi? Korean people eat mochi. There was mochi at at Pinkberry and Pinkberry's. Wow. (laughs) Pinkberry was the bomb. But then it kind of went downhill quality wise i don't really think so they took away the green tea flavor which was quality so i guess their quality did diminish once they lost that the green tea with the fresh blackberries Mm. oh Oh. now we're talking but that's the japanese in us maybe and little mochi but i'm telling you man the whole thing going in i i fully expected to take sides or whatever and to be all ready when this obviously wasn't a maybe they were a heroic fantastic successful couple in past lives or would be again in future lives which is Sung's hope when they were did you note that past and lives are distractingly far from each other no are you talking about the graphic of the title treatment yeah the title card past and lives are separated by like 360 spaces so like they're like tabbed eons, over basically lives then it all got shaken up every preconceived notion i had was tested and I came around, and I think it is typified in the fact that Sung's New York vacation was like the worst vacation ever. <laughs> he like Poor bastard. shows up, and it's it's supposed to be romantic, and it's not. It's supposed to be like you know great, and she's gonna show him around, and they're gonna have a good time, and it's just rainy and dreary and horrible. It just defies every expectation, like this movie does. And not to say that this movie was entirely rainy and dreary and horrible, but there was a lot of that where I felt the feels all the time. And when I look back on this movie, I think, you know what? When it all boils down, nothing happened. 
and it's the things that we bring to this movie, what we project, because they weren't giving us a whole lot, man. She had stoic Iris face. If she was going to betray any ounce of feeling or sentiment or or willingness to you know leave her husband or whatever, I didn't see any of that. It was a very weird kind of intoxicating mix of all of these repressed Asian feelings and like also very emo. And the emotion being emoted came entirely from Sung, who did all of his acting with his eyes. Aww. And, uh, kind eyes. Oh, man. Man. But there was also purpose, but it wasn't random and it wasn't like, this was a movie about nothing because, and it was only what we brought to the movie. Really, there was a lot of purpose behind the movie, I think. And the director, she bases on her real life experience and she very carefully orchestrated the way that the actor's emotions would play out on screen. You can only do so much as an actor, as a director of actors, but she kept Charlie and Sung away from each other. They never got to meet. During rehearsals, crew would usher one out of the room and bring the other one in. If they had to be on Zoom calls, they were both blacked out. So they couldn't, they never met <gasps> until the scene, the first take in the movie, which is in the movie, of them meeting <gasps> and, and appraising each other for the first I time. I just got goosebumps. Never met. Likewise, uh, Sung and Young were never allowed to touch. Like that hug she gives him when he shows up in New York for the first time and she throws her arms around him and he's like incapable of returning it for some reason. It's like, are you really real? That was the first time they ever physically touched each other in all the all the rehearsal and, and all the preparation. Wow. This seems less intense in terms of like method acting, but sounds very effective. I, I guess so, because I, w- I had to be won over and I was worried that her stoicism would mean that I was on the outside like Charlie was. Arthur. His name is Arthur, I think. Yeah. Right? Uh, I thought I was going to be on the outside. And then I was seething and bubbling and boiling over. And I was lo- felt this <laughs> sense of longing. And every look was loaded and there was so much tension. And they're like sitting down in front of the city and doing nothing. And I was like, Argh! But still, I'm not ashamed to admit that this movie was profoundly affecting. So much so that it brought me out of that bad mood. And I'm not sure if you never engage, if it is possible to go through this movie and have it be completely unmemorable because you just didn't latch on to the frequency. I was like, I had like a 50-50 under over on you that this would bounce right off of you. I mean, movies of this type have done so. Uh, I don't know if it's like deflective, like Wesley Shield or like bad moodness, you know, that makes that happen. But I'm a little surprised. So if that introduction between Sung and Arthur was kind of legit, like literally the first time they saw each other, what do you think was going through the character Arthur's mind when he saw Sung? At first I thought, look, she is playing both of them. I, I was really frustrated when they walked in and she didn't introduce them. And I was like, she's just letting them both twist in the wind. This is horrible. And obviously it, it's really hard for me to forgive her when she leaves poor Arthur on the sideline. Her body language turns entirely to Sung, and they have extended conversations in Korean. But then you realize that Charlie knows all of it. He's listening and he understands most of it, if, if not specifically from the language he can infer it, right? From their, just everything else. Totally. That's what I was thinking the whole time. Like his Korean was pretty decent. Like if he's going to have the Korean that he does have, then he probably has the contextual Korean around it. That would be enough for him to at least interpret the essence of that conversation. 
right? Because we it's hard for us to derive intonation from the Korean that we don't understand, but whatever. We didn't really have to understand in the long run how Arthur was feeling because Arthur said all of the things explicitly how he was feeling. And you're like, God, I wanted so badly to hate you and I just can't do it. Because he's so honest and earnest and supportive. He was afraid despite all of her, you know, dismissals. He totally was her childhood sweetheart. They're, they were as intimate and close and in love as you possibly can be at that age. And he was right to be afraid. And he was right to have those sad eyes when they're having the conversation. So much so that unprompted, not even looking at him, Sung was like, well, I'm sorry, we're having these conversations in Korean and not including you. We won't do that anymore. And he said the truth. It's important. And it's a good thing that you're here because I think this was Arthur realizing that he was living out this story, this fabulous story with an immigrant and never had to deal with her world this was the the real test i think of his relationship when her past literally comes to visit comes over comes home he didn't know what was going to happen i fully expected that she would say i know you know you're so supportive and that's why i think in a bridges of madison county way if i peace out it will destroy you but still you'll let me go because this is something that i feel like i have to do okay so how much of this is wes projected on arthur and how much of this is arthur I just know what he told me. And I know that he never put him, the, the most he extended himself to try to stand in anybody's way was sitting on the stoop just in case he had to go run over there and beat Sung down if they <laughs> like did any shady stuff outside of the Uber. Uh... He just happened to be outside. Otherwise, the dude was totally at home on his PS5. And I bet you he was like, no, it's more important that nothing can be blamed on me later. If this is what's going to happen, it's going to happen. And you go forth and meet your destiny and I'm going to play Call of Duty or whatever he was doing. Now that's Wes's projection. Maybe. But she hung out with him all week and he was fully sit sitting and chilling at home. And I was like, why isn't he out there socializing? And then ultimately he was. And it happened, I think, exactly as he expected it would happen. And he would be setting himself up to feel a certain kind of way when inevitably they faced away from him and had a full on conversation. So do you think in that week together, Nora and Sung had an emotional affair? Um, I don't know that they ever stopped. I mean, for certainly from his point of view, I fully expected him to break down and be like, there's because he did. He told her maybe in another life we are something, which is obviously what I want is the subtext, but not here. So I'm going to drive away and this sucks and I'm going to cry all the way to the airport, but he's not going to actually do anything. So I think he certainly was in full defiance of her husband, which is why he made apologies to him later. I think that she always had, but she experienced this ability, being a stoic Asian like you are, of maintaining this clean separation. My old me, that's still that's another me, but that me is not here. I am here and I am with you. And don't forget that pesky part where I love you and it's all okay, even though it's clearly not okay for her when she's forced to reconcile those things. I have a lot to say, but you speak pretty intelligently about love and relationship, Wes. Yep. It's like genitals. Uh, dudes are, they, they're, they're straight ahead. They just point and like it, it, they're, they're singular in focus, right? 
Women's genitals are a convoluted maze. They're totally confusing. Some women don't even know what's going on down there either, let alone a dude. I mean, what do you expect? Women are complicated, unnecessarily, in some cases, complicated creatures. And I only say that with some bitterness because I try constantly to figure them out. Men are very simple. And I think it's as easy as, was he in love with her? Yes. Did he want to do stuff? Yes. But she was not going to allow that to happen consciously or unconsciously until all of a sudden she's crying. And I'm not even sure she knew why she was crying. Women are complicated. Wow. Wes, I think that you solved the mystery of why his book was called Boner. Because <laughs> he was just, uh, why? Because <laughs> he's just a simple, straightforward, genitals forward kind of dude. Yeah, that, that conversation in the bedroom, which I thought was throwaway initially, is the, one of the most memorable. And I was just like, he's saying things. <laughs> and they ring so true. And they're so honest and vulnerable. Right? He's the Jewish guy who's saying all the things that no one in Spielberg's family could do in the fable <laughs> What, he, what really struck me when he was the pressure that he revealed he put on himself when he was like, was this what your parents wanted for you when they came to this country? And she was like, are you my parents' immigrant dream? <laughs> <laughs> like, it was such a wonderful way for her to dispel all of this unnecessary pressure that he was putting on himself. And she also was very effectively dispelled the myth of her, not otherworldliness, but she was like, I'm just a person. Like, I'm just a woman. Like, there's nothing special or extraordinary that's happening just because another man is interested in me. Like, he he started putting her up on this kind of weird pedestal. And she was like, I'm me. She did, I think she did wonderful things to reassure him. Yeah, in so much as she was able to, I guess. She also wasn't going to bypass the opportunity to spend time with this person who means something to her, cosmically or otherwise. Is it inappropriate between friends, especially friends of the opposite sex? Were they inappropriate? I'm going to answer my own question and say, I don't think it was an emotional affair because I think that they were all so honest with each other about what it was, what was going down, what they were doing. And it was tough. But I don't think it was an affair because that connotates as secrecy and doing something with deception. This I will have to concede. Even when she did have her emotional response to what she had just gone through, it was directly to Arthur. It wasn't masked. It wasn't hidden. And I was like, man, nothing is concealed. But that doesn't mean that I didn't expect it to be. Wait, wait, he's not going to the designated Uber drop-off spot on that New York street. Why do they walk all the hell away down the block? It was so they can smooch in secret, right? Which is why Arthur came down to sit on the stoop. Why were they way down there? And Kelly Ray looked at me, and this is why I can't trust her. And she's like, is it, would it be so bad if they kiss one time and then he leaves forever? Okay. And I didn't say anything in my head. I'm screaming, Yes! <laughs> Anyway, okay, so. I don't think, first of all, yes, would Haesung have, have rejected her if she was like, just one little kiss? No. Was he luring her away so that they could have some privacy? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. Sometimes those things, sometimes Uber picks weird pickup spots. Like I'm coming out of the sunset, the sunset Las Palmas <laughs> Studios, and I'm like, I'm right outside the gate. Why is my Uber down the scary dark block that I have to walk by myself in heels? So anyway, I'm not entirely sure that there was anything underhanded happening there. But quick 
note to men, what Arthur does is exactly what you should do. A hundred percent, this is what you do when a woman has conflicting feelings, is you be there for her and you validate and create space for it by accepting her. So just underline, bold, italic, period, full stop. But also, to Kelly's point, would it be so bad? I'm not going to go there, but I do believe that past lives operates on an assumption of monogamous one-to-one relationship. Was it completely inconceivable that there couldn't be some relationship that she could maintain with someone else or he, Arthur, with someone else? Are we supposed to just accept this underlying assumption of monogamy? That, by the way, all you said about the Uber and stuff, not having specific pickup locations, is the most Asian playwright artist residency in Montauk thing you've ever said. Like that was so specifically bougie. And also, I do agree that Charlie has an excellent investment strategy in in knowing exactly how to conduct himself around his wife, especially when she has something come up and uh, someone from her past show up in New York for vacation. By by the way, we're talking about Charlie, I forget his last name, from The Big Short, who was one of three people who shorted the housing market and made gobs and gobs of money. Go ahead. Right. Via Brownfield Capital. Um, Played by the same guy. I, I do think that it, it is still what we bring to the movie with our history of movies. I regarded it as a sort of inverse Lost in Translation. And spoilers are if you haven't seen that movie, but they were foreigners in a different place. You know, uh, Scarlett Johansson and Bill Murray were Americans in Japan, in this case, Koreans. And they were separated by vast chasms of experience and life circumstance and age and things like that. But still, they found a connection in a foreign place and they did smooch at the end. But that to me wasn't the terror that would have broken up her young marriage because they were likely going to never see each other again. Let's never come back here because it would never be as much fun. That was a wonder. And I'm not sure that with 25 years of history that past lives was a wonder because they easily, because nothing happened, nothing changed the course of their relationship, outwardly anyway, in his visit to New York, are they suddenly never in contact again? Is he like love actually? And he's like, enough, enough now. And he'll never contact her again because she's married? I mean, I think it's too hard for him. I would think that it would be too hard for him and that though she might be able to compartmentalize to a certain extent, it wouldn't necessarily be. She seemed content to wait for the next life. It's all he has. He crossed oceans of time to find her. Um, I'm searching the catalog in my mind. Is that last of the Mohicans? That's Dracula reference. Oh, that's um, Gary Oldman Dracula. Yep. Um, I don't know that it's all he has. He certainly was in a transitional period in his life, you know, maybe an early midlife crisis kind of a situation. He wanted to check it out maybe once and for all, see if there was that opportunity to the extent that Sung was capable. He was going after what he wanted. 
And like Boner, Haesung was just singular in purpose. He wanted nothing else, dreamed of nothing else, had nothing else. He had a modest job or whatever. And did he have relationship before or, or still maybe? Yeah, but it wasn't a thing. He was fully invested that if it came to where she fell in his lap in his visit to New York, he would have like Judy. Oh, she buries Judy and not even think about Judy anymore back in Korea. And he would have totally and fully like move to Manhattan or whatever. Uh, so it's, I think it's easy enough to pin down the characters, but this wasn't, I guess it was romance, but it wasn't a tale of rediscovered love. It was an examination of past lives. It was an examination of the immigrant experience and what each of those people were in childhood in a different place and what they are in a, in a new place now, that new place in this particular circumstance being literal, but also figurative because they're adults. And those people, those the kids they were exist, but these new people in America as adults are different and circumstance doesn't allow as easily for them to be together as when they were thrown together as kids. Let's just stick to the facts here for a second. There was nothing to suggest in what we saw of Sung's life that he was delusional, like full on, like off his rocker, like not all there. He had friends, he had a stable job, yeah, and maybe his relationship didn't work out, but he's, you know, seemed to have maintained a a relationship for enough time that might suggest that he's capable of maintaining a relationship. Nayoung had been married for seven years. He didn't he wasn't coming out there expecting that she was gonna run away with him. I think he came out with maybe some hope, but he wasn't like delusional. I think he was exploring the simple connection, the simple cosmic connection that he had with this woman and enjoyed as hard as it was, as much as anything, just talking with her about what they maybe were in the past and found comfort in them acknowledging that there was something there. You know, if you want to be cynical about Nora, you could say that maybe she was really enjoying the attention, especially because both of these men put her on such a pedestal. And maybe there was something in that that she needed from Sun that she wasn't getting in her marriage or in her life. I don't know. But I don't think that this movie wants us to be cynical. I think this movie wants us to get swept away in the limitless possibilities of reincarnated love. And it sounded like that worked for you. Well, I do think Young or Nora was firmly in control. Even when she's crying, she's in control. That's just part of the process. It's not like she was broken down or something. She was venting to her husband. Uh, that This is my assumption, you know, from a penis-based perspective on her. But I do know the dude that Sung is. And your assessment of him might be correct if he was a blowing-in-the-hair-wind dude in a Miyazaki film. But that dude was having a tough time, and he fully allowed for opportunity to present himself. Likewise, the pensiveness with which he uh, and Arthur were introduced, either one or the other, either one was waiting to be fully attacked by the other <laughs> and had like a an, some, something, an instrument at hand. Sung had like a like a bamboo stick or something wow. in his backpack. He would have beat him down. He would have come at him with the PS5 controller. Arthur would have defended himself as necessary. He has military training from Call of Duty or whatever. <laughs> but it was civil, but 
each one clearly had motivations, neither of which were intended to benefit the other. He didn't give a shit about that dude. He cared that his wife, this thing that he had heard about, presumably, for seven years, that it would be addressed, for better or worse, all at once in this visit. And I do think that poor Sung was, in the past, is in this movie, and will be in the future, nothing but pining for her as the one that got away. You said it. I think if we're sticking with the facts, she's not the one that got away. Sung never had Nora. Never. Not even when they were kids. Nope. She was like, peace. So this, I know that there's this romantic pathos around this idea of the one that got away, but they have to be something that you have in, in order for them to be the one that got away. And he never had her. And I think Arthur knows that. And I also think that you're conflating fear with lack of confidence because, yeah, damn right, he's afraid. But if he didn't have confidence, I don't think that he could have withstood the torture of that evening. I mean, he's standing there in his own living room and he's willingly let this intruder not only come in, but like be invited in by his wife. He's standing there. He's looking in an opposite mirror. He's like, hmm, there's someone that I'm not and has the courage to face the rest of the evening and be there for his wife at the end of the day. Come on, let's give Arthur a big fat medal. Absolutely. We're drawing all these inferences. We're bringing our own baggage to bear on these characters. But director Celine and writer Celine Song really had it down. I think it was all deliberate on Celine Song's part and, and very purposeful for what I think was a shockingly moving movie for me that I did not really see coming. It's It was 10 times, in my humble opinion, the movie that Drive My Car was. And your final reading is? I do think think this one is kind of a totally. It so completely won me over that I couldn't stop thinking about it. So where, where, however you land in the seat for this movie, I think you will bring something wonderful out of it. And by wonderful, I mean something painful and sobby and stuff. There are only a few movies that I can think of where you were outright sobbing at the end. It was like welling up down there. She's doing the long, like, not walk of shame, but like walk back to Arthur. And I was like, <laughs> it was like welling up. And then she gets to him and he like, oh, oh ah! Sucker, what are you giving it? A good. And that's our discussion okay. on Past <laughs> Lives, a movie from 2023. If you listened to Or Whatever Movies in a Past Life, now is your time to tell us about it. 818-835-0473 or whatevermovies at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An Electric Cast production. See you there. Electric Cast. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. 
Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.